Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. We've got campaign season coming to a head. Election Day 2022 is basically here. Uh, we're speaking on Monday, November 7th, the day before Election Day, but we're getting on in the day. And by the time you listen to this, it might be Election Day itself. Uh, I have last minute companion episodes of the show here with the two of the leaders of the state Senate efforts, the Republicans and the Democrats. Democrats currently hold a supermajority in the New York State Senate, and they're hoping to hold on to that or at least stay close to that, while Republicans are hoping to flip a number of seats that Democrats have made gains on in the last couple of election cycles. It was just as recently as 2018, where Republicans held a very slim majority in the New York State Senate, and that was their only uh, spot of power in state government. Since the 2018 elections, Democrats took that majority, have since expanded in the state Senate to match a state assembly supermajority, and of course, all the statewide positions in the state held by Democrats. So a lot of Democratic power in New York over the last several years. Republicans hopeful this election cycle on everything from the governor's race, where Republican Lee Zeldin uh, feels as though he's in striking distance to Democratic Governor Kathy Hochul, who's hoping to win her first full term in the position that she ascended to last August, and then down into U.S. House of Representatives races, of course, in a number of battlegrounds in New York, and what we're focused on here in the New York State Senate. Find the companion discussion to this with Republican Senate leader Rob Ort, but I am very happy on this episode here to be joined by New York Democratic Senate Campaign Committee Chair Michael Janaris. He's a state senator from Queens. He's also the deputy leader of the New York State Senate with that Democratic supermajority, working with Senate Majority Leader Andre Stewart-Cousins. Senator Janaris, thanks for coming back to the show. How are you? I'm good, Ben. Thank you for having me on. So thanks for joining me, especially right here in this uh, day before Election Day. So Republicans are hopeful uh, in some ways, Democrats, uh, you, you'll capture it here for us in just a second. But in some ways, Democrats have basically exceeded uh, some of their wildest expectations in these last couple of election cycles to go from the minority to a supermajority. So Republican gains in this election, which was expected to favor Republicans as soon as Joe Biden won the presidency uh, in 2020, uh, you know, Republican gains in this election would not be shocking by any means. But the way New York has trended, more Democratic voter enrollment uh, advantage, uh, Democrats in so much power, able to pass a lot of priorities, um, you know, there, there, there's a, a bit of a tension there. What are your expectations here going into Election Day? Uh, I think Democrats across the board have assumed that Long Island is going to be very difficult. You currently hold 42 seats of the 63-seat state Senate. You actually had 43 until State Senator Todd Kaminsky resigned for a private sector job. So that's an open seat. So you've basically had control of 43 out of the 63 seats. What's your expectations going into this? We'll get into a bunch of the specific races, but how are you feeling going into election day and where do you see your sort of number of seats winding up uh, when we come out of the vote counting? Uh, I, I feel like in some respects, we're victims of our own success. We're sitting on the largest Senate majority the state has ever had in its 
you know, over 200 year history. Um, and so it's a pretty high bar to say, you know, keep that supermajority or else you've had a rough election. I, uh, we're going to have a very strong majority um, coming out of tomorrow. Um, if I'd be perfectly happy if we end up having the second largest majority in the history of the state, I think that would, uh, by normal measures, uh, be um, quite a historic achievement in and of itself. Um, but we don't know. We're fighting very hard in every uh, in every uh, contested race, and you know we're hopeful to even maintain our numbers. But we know we're facing headwinds. Uh, it is, in fact, a midterm election uh, where our party's in charge of the White House, and that um, always means rough sledding. It was good for us in 2018. It was bad for us in 2014 and 2010. So that's kind of the overlay we're dealing with. That no matter what we do and how well we perform, uh, we're swimming upstream as it relates to the normal historical trends. Um, the other thing I would add, Ben, is the Republicans are wonderful at celebrating their successes before they happen. And so I would caution them to not make fools of themselves again, uh, because you may recall they had a very glorious press conference after the 2020 elections where they talked about all the seats they gained from us. And lo and behold, once all the ballots were counted, uh, we ended up with that supermajority that we now have. So um, they should really wait for the voters to have their say. That's ultimately how these things get decided. We're putting our best feet forward uh, in so many districts, uh, uh, so many more than usual because of the redistricting. Um, and uh, and we're confident that, that uh, we'll win the lion's share of them. Mm -hmm. So let's say there's 43 out of the 63 uh, seats in the state Senate that are in the Democratic column. Like I said, one of those seats is currently vacant, but it was most recently held by a Democrat. What's your sort of optimistic number? Is it keeping it at 40 and just losing a net uh, a few seats? Uh, do, do you have a number that you sort of say, oh, that would actually be a good night for us? I, I don't. Uh, look, we want a majority. We want a governing majority. We want a very strong governing majority. I believe we're going to have that. Did you lose me there? I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I messed up my mouse and happened to hit mute on you. I'm so sorry. Do you mind just... Uh, uh, sure. What an idiot. I'm sorry. Uh, do you mind just start? <laughs> not at all. Sorry, not at all. Answer again. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, we we know we're going to have the majority. We'll have a very strong uh, majority that allows us to govern effectively as we have already. Um, I'm not assigning a number to it because there's a, lot, a number of races that could tip either way. And we know that. Uh, it's a handful. It's not a tremendous amount. So you can do the math yourself. Uh, but when all is said and done, we will either have a historically uh, great night by maintaining our numbers and maintaining that supermajority, or we'll have a very, very good night in a bad year um, and still have uh, a larger number, certainly than the Republicans ever had when they were in the majority. Mm -hmm. uh, when I spoke with Republican Senate leader Rob Ord, he said they consider 14 state Senate districts as competitive in some way. That includes some districts that they want to hold on to seats in. There's really interesting thing with with the way redistricting went that you actually have two races upstate where there are sets of incumbents uh, facing each other in an election. There's a Republican incumbent and a Democratic incumbent in two different races uh, facing each other. So those are both really interesting races. Um, do you agree that there's more than a dozen competitive races here? Or would you, you I imagine you put that number as a smaller number? <laughs> here's 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 a number I can't 
tell you with confidence and uh, without putting myself too far out there, there's a 0.0% chance the Republicans pick up 14 seats. Well, again, that was including some of his holds. I think he is the holds that he want, he's concerned about. Right. Yeah. Well, the truth is it's nowhere close to that. And yeah. so I understand he's got to say that because the math doesn't add up and he's got to go convince people to support his candidates without any possibility of actually governing when all is said and done. Uh, but that's a fiction that, um, that Rob Ward is spinning in order to um, have some kind of claim that they even have uh, uh, a, a tiny possibility of obtaining the majority, which of course they do not have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he, to be to be to be fair, uh, he he did not express a lot of optimism about uh, having any real shot at taking the majority in this election. Um, so uh, we, let's focus in on on Long Island as a battleground. That's obviously a place Republicans are very hopeful about picking up seats. Uh, there were some big Republican wins there in 2021 for a DA race, a, a, a DA races, a county executive race, other races. Uh, Lee Zeldin, the Republican nominee for governor, is from Suffolk, so juicing up, you know, potential Republican turnout there very likely. Um, what's going to happen on Long Island? Obviously, there's there's a whole bunch of competitive races there, so we don't need to go into the details of all of them. But what are you seeing on Long Island? Will there be some differences, you think, in, you know, sort of Nassau and some of the areas that have a little bit, you know, more of a, a Democratic tilt than than Suffolk. How are you, how how is Long Island looking like, and what are you hopeful for? Well, there? The, the the Republicans will make gains on Long Island because uh, of factors having nothing to do with the with tomorrow's election. Um, they have Jonathan Service to thank for that. Now, some of your astute readers may recognize that name; others probably don't. Uh, he was the master that the Republican judge in Bath, uh, New York, appointed to draw the lines, and he made some. Uh, uncompetitive. Uh, so Jim Gorin, for example, uh, was facing a district that was impossible for a Democrat to win. So he opted not to seek re-election. Um, so yes, there will be uh, likely more Republicans on Long Island. There currently are, but that's a factor of the way these lines got drawn. The flip side to that is we have two very, very Democratic seats out there now that Kevin Thomas um, uh, will hold in Nassau County and Monica Martinez uh, will likely have in Suffolk County. Um, and so we, we have two seats that are more secure than they've ever been. You know, it wasn't too long ago the Republicans had all nine of the Long Island seats. Yeah. That will never happen again, given the way these lines have been drawn. Um, but some of the, you know, by piling the Democrats in those into those two districts made some surrounding districts less competitive. Uh, mm-hmm. And of course, we, we do believe that Anna Kaplan uh, has a great chance to come back and join us tomorrow. We're optimistic about her chances. Um, and um, there now are that's, a, that, that's an interesting race. She's trying to keep her seat against a former state senator um, and, and Republicans are hopeful about unseating her there. It's interesting to hear you say you're optimistic about Monica Martinez rejoining the the Democratic conference because that's a it is a it is a, a Democrat friendly seat in Suffolk. But in this year, uh, you know, that that could be trouble. You, you, you feel you feel confident about that seat. Well, look, we we don't know until the results are in, uh, sure. but that's that's a district that Democrats have always performed very strongly in, whether they're good years or bad years. And so, we do believe that that we will um, uh, get Monica Martinez back in the state senate with us when all is said and done tomorrow. So, listen um, to listeners. I'm not I'm not listing off all the district numbers. We're not giving every single candidate. If you you know that th- that would be that would be too much information here uh, over the audio airwaves here. So, if you want to be able to look all this up. 
We have a rundown at GothamGazette.com. If you look for races to watch in the 2022 general election, you Google us at Gotham Gazette. We have just a rundown basically of every single race that could be competitive in the state Senate with district numbers, the the locations, and the candidates running. Not a lot lot of other information there, but just so you have that to reference, um, uh, folks can can look along there at any time to look at the district numbers and where they are and and who's running uh, and whether they're incumbents or not or former state senators or what what else. Um, the, The complicating factors on Long Island are true in a lot of other districts, but the ways in which um, the issues, especially of public safety and crime versus for uh, working against Democrats versus the issue of reproductive rights working for Democrats. Have you seen any of the ground shifting there in different ways? There was there was a thought when the Supreme Court decision came down that that would then really give Democrats uh, a lot of momentum on the issue of abortion and protecting reproductive rights. Then some of the polling and the, you know, sort of conventional wisdom here has shifted back uh, around that that really crime and inflation are dominating things. How are you seeing sort of the way the issues are playing out in these battleground races? Well, look, I, I know it's your job and all our collective jobs to do this the day before an election, but tomorrow we'll hold all the answers for us. And so no one really knows. And anyone that tells you they know today that uh, the abortion question is faded and crime is back in the forefront or vice versa um, are doing so based on partial information and they don't really know. And ultimately, this is all a question of enthusiasm, um, which is why it'll be a pretty easily easily answerable question tomorrow, because we'll see. Do our Democrats turning out in typical numbers and greater numbers and lesser numbers? And the same question for Republicans, uh, because the midterms are more about turnout than anything else. Uh, people tend to vote in large numbers in a presidential election. Everyone comes out to vote uh, every four years. It's at the every two years after that, that uh, the numbers um Uh, are decided by who's staying home and who's coming out to vote. Um, And so we'll see that the early voting numbers are pretty strong across the board for both parties, to be honest. Um, And so we'll, we'll see as the uh, in-person election day vote comes out, what, uh, what that means in terms of who's decided to register their vote uh, this round. Now, in terms of both um, enthusiasm, getting people out to vote, and also the question of any of the you know so-called swing voters who might be uh, interested in in one party or the other, right? There's there's both of those parts of the equation. There's there's really getting your supporters out, as you were just discussing, and then there's some of that um, you know convincing the the voters that you know in in some places like Long Island and some other areas, you know those those voters can vote sometimes for Republicans and sometimes for Democrats. Um, do you do you think on both fronts that democratic messaging has been strong enough? There's a lot of criticism of Governor Hochul and of Democrats more broadly, and this is obviously a national conversation as well. But it's very much here in New York about uh, public safety efforts to increase public safety efforts to reduce the impact of inflation, which again is a is an international trend. But what are local leaders doing about it? Have you all as Democrats done a good enough job of showing New Yorkers what you've been doing on these issues. How do you feel as we're getting in, into the votes really being cast and, and finally counted here about how that's gone and the criticism? You know, Democrats like to say Republicans are doing a lot of fear mongering around crime and public safety. But the flip side of that is 
are Democrats showing enough to voters the work they've been doing to increase safety and reduce crime? Uh, how, how do you feel about where that's been? Go ahead. Well, look, I, I feel we, we are making the case uh, as aggressively as we can to all the voters who are uh, either have already voted or about to vote tomorrow. Um, and look, this the uh, prognosticators always have to prognosticate. Um, and it's always fascinating to me that the broad conclusions they draw before any votes are cast. And what I would love to do if I had the time is document all of it and then throw back in the faces of everyone that was completely wrong after the votes were cast, because that happens with regular frequency. Uh, we were fortunate enough in 2020, the Republicans did it so aggressively that they had a big press conference declaring victory uh, after they had the most catastrophic loss in the history of the state for the state Senate. And so uh, people did notice that. But I can tell you, because you know we live and die it uh, every day, how many stories were written about how badly we had done in 2020 and how we screwed up and lost. <laughs> and then two weeks later, uh, everyone had to eat crow. And so uh, we will find out tomorrow. I know, uh, you know we're doing this interview, and so it's, I'm, I'm probably not participating the way I should and actually um, rendering opinions as to what has happened and how the voters have received it. But we're going to know how the voters uh, have received it uh, uh, tomorrow night. And then we'll be able, I'll come back and talk to you <laughs> at great length about what okay. they actually said and what they did, because we'll have that information before us instead of guessing about what they're going to do. Yeah. I mean, as someone in charge of election season messaging and in charge of uh, helping craft lots of the policy that is being debated right now, you know, I'm curious your thoughts about, um, you know, this constant criticism about about message and so forth. But I, I hear you. Yeah, you no, I'm, and, and I'm happy. And I don't I don't mean to be flippant about it. No, but it's but the the the. I mean, I'm happy to talk to you about what we've done and what we're telling voters we've done and what the other side is doing, whether that's successful or not. That's up to the people going into the ballot, to the booths, voting booths tomorrow to tell us. Yeah. But but um, look, we, we have been facing uh, um, an opposition that uh, believes they succeed when they scare people. Um, and that's what we've seen. And in 2020. They ran multi-million dollar campaigns telling everybody uh, that bail reform is atrocious and the Democrats are responsible and everyone should vote against them. And they suffered the worst loss the Republican Party has ever faced uh, in the history of New York State and the state Senate. Um, and so two years later, they obviously think the same formula is going to work for them again. I do not think it's going to, but here they are. We'll find out tomorrow. Uh, but. The fact is, uh, the people of this state know uh, that uh, we have been a very effective majority uh, that cares a great deal and is working very hard uh, to ensure um, that um, that the people are safe in the state. Uh, and we'll continue to do that, and we'll do so uh, with uh, great concern for their safety and also with great compassion. Are there any state Senate races in New York City that you're particularly focused on? Um, there's a little bit of discussion about uh, Senator Stavisky being at risk in uh, in Queens. There's this new uh, 17 state Senate district in Brooklyn where certainly the, the Democratic nominee is favored, but it's not a, a, a sure thing, especially when you have a brand new district and, and no incumbent uh, of any kind running. Um, Diane Savino of Staten Island and Brooklyn is leaving the state Senate, decided not to run for reelection. So that's a, you know, fairly interesting seat, uh, with a lot of moderate to conservative voters in it. Any of those or any others of significant concern to you in New York city? Uh, well, I think you put your finger on the small number that are at least worth 
paying attention to and watching tomorrow. Um, I think we'll be fine in all three of those. Uh, but you're right. These are new candidates functionally, even Senator Stavisky, who's been around a long time because of the uh, effects of redistricting. This district is over 90 percent new territory for her. So mm-hmm. functionally, she's introducing herself for the first time to everyone in that district. It does have some conservative pockets where, uh, for example, Vicky Palladino is a member of the city council up in Northeast Queens. Uh, that's a part of this district now. And so um, she's working hard, but she'll be just fine. And uh, we have great confidence in, in her ability to win against an opponent who is uh, a pretty scary, uh, extreme guy and has had all sorts of um, people associated with the Proud Boys supporting his candidacy and, and that level of Republican. So I think the people will see through that effort and, and return Senator Stavisky to another term. Um, in Brooklyn, uh, we have a historic candidacy in Ewen Chu. Uh, she would be the first Asian uh, senator out of Brooklyn in a very large and growing community. I have been out there personally with her to canvas and uh, organize her volunteers. And the enthusiasm in the Chinese community in particular down there is palpable. Uh, and I think that um, uh, as someone going way back to when I was first elected, uh, saw a similar dynamic when I was the first Greek American to get elected from New York City. Um, that energy is not often picked up by the pundits or the people who typically follow these campaigns. So I think I think she'll be quite successful. And in the Staten Island Brooklyn seat, Jessica Scarcella Spanton uh, is a perfect fit for that district. I think she represents the values of those communities extremely well um, and, uh, and will also be successful. So we'll keep an eye on them. I think uh, Mayor Adams did not perform the best in those districts when he ran for mayor uh, against Curtis Lewa last year. So obviously that's worth um, uh, keeping an eye on. But at the end of the day, I think all three of them will be successful. Before we move outside of uh, Long Island and the city for a couple last uh, questions about other races, speaking of Mayor Adams, how much do you think the way he's spoken about public safety and bail reform and crime has hurt, hurt Democrats in this election cycle? Well, look, Mayor Adams has a point of view and he's entitled to it and he has a responsibility to express himself as the mayor of the city. So I don't hold that against him. Um, it's when uh, he decides to dabble and uh, make up, have political consequences as a result of that where uh, some people might take offense. So he got very active in the primaries, opposing a number of our incumbents, um, and that was ultimately unsuccessful. Uh, but when people tried to... Um, uh, screw around with the internal uh, politics of the Senate Democratic Conference. We have a pretty recent history about what that looks like, and it's not good. Uh, and so we certainly don't want to go back to that kind of a world anytime soon. Uh, but for him to have a point of view and express it and express it publicly, that's what he's supposed to be doing. Uh, we can agree or disagree and have that conversation. Uh, but as long as we all have the interests of the people um, that we represent uh, at heart, uh, that could be a productive conversation instead of a divisive one. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming outside of Long Island and the, and the city, there's there's other uh, state Senate Democrats who seem to be particularly vulnerable. vulnerable. Um, who are you most concerned with protecting? Uh, is it Senator Skoufis? Is it somebody else um, or, or a couple of the state senators that Republicans are targeting? Who are a couple of sitting Democrats um, as we go north of the city that you're you're most uh, concerned about? 
Well, our battlegrounds are typically Long Island, the Hudson Valley, and upstate cities. And I don't think tomorrow is going to be any different. We already talked about Long Island. Um, but you, as you look up and down the Hudson Valley, you've got the Senator Scoofus's race. He's a very strong candidate in a district that actually went for Donald Trump. So, you know, he's got his work cut out for him, but we think he's going to do quite well. Um, and then just north of that is uh, a race that has two incumbents running against each other uh, because of the way the redistricting ball uh, landed. Um, so you have Michelle Hinchy against uh, Sue Serino, um, who are both well-known, uh, effective incumbents. And so that'll be uh, a real battle uh, as you go up to Hudson Valley. Um, once you get past that and you're into the upstate cities, Syracuse will be a battleground for sure. We have two incumbents there. Um, Western New York, we feel a little better about. Of course, that's Kathy Hochul's home turf. She's a native of Buffalo. And so that popularity, I think, will uh, extend uh, to Buffalo, Rochester, even the uh, a new seat, relatively new, I guess, depending on, on how you look at the lines, but there's a seat that encompasses Binghamton and Ithaca uh, that we are optimistic about picking up. And so it's not just defense we're playing. We also uh, have a real shot to gain a new member in Leah Webb uh, up mm -hmm. in that part of the state. Mm -hmm. And um, Republicans seem particularly hopeful about flipping the seat currently held by State Senator uh, Reichland Melnick. Is that um, a, a seat of, of significant concern to you? Yeah, I mean, that's obviously one we're fighting very hard. You could look at our uh, where we spend our money and, and see what, where we think are the mm -hmm. most competitive yeah. districts, and that's certainly one of them. Um, that district, as well as Senator Scoopis's district, are um, their neighboring districts, uh, and they're very hard fought uh, amongst the parties. Um, there's also uh, 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 dynamics of emerging communities in there and growing communities uh, in those districts that are um, seeking to be heard uh, in, a, in, a, in a, a louder way. Um, and so um, all I can tell you, Ben, is we have uh, put our money where our mouths are. We've fought hard for these seats. We have uh, a great story to tell for these uh, members of the Senate. And uh, we know that when tomorrow's said and done, uh, the lion's share of them will be back with us. And uh, last question for you here. There's this question of coattails uh, that that uh, Republican nominee Lee Zeldin, at least on Long Island, if not elsewhere, may have some strong coattails for some of the state Senate candidates, uh, again, on Long Island or maybe in a couple other places and questions about whether Governor Kathy Hochul, again, not in office a long time, but uh, you know, questions about the degree to which she's campaigned, her lack of, you know, long term relationships in places like New York City. We've seen so much of her campaign getting into gear in these just last uh, week or, or two. Um, are there concerns that there might be, um, you know, a limited uh, coattails from the from the top of the ticket and b areas that, you know, that that split their votes, whether it's helpful to state Senate Democrats, but go towards uh, Lee Zeldin or vice versa. Um, what's the relationship like from your perspective at the top of the ticket and, and your state Senate candidates? Well, whether it's a presidential year or a gubernatorial year, the top of the ticket drives most of the results. Um, that's just a, a historical fact. Um, if we beat the top of the ticket by you know, somewhere between five and 10%, that's uh, quite an achievement, right? And so we did that in a couple of places when uh, when Andrew Cuomo was was running, um, but that's about the extent of it. So, you know, close to, you know, somewhere between 90 and 95% of the, of the outcome is tied to the top of the ticket. Um, the reason we fight so hard over that last 
five or ten percent is because that makes the difference in these competitive close districts. And mm-hmm. So we'll, we um, we do think there's a, a very strong correlation between the top of the ticket uh, and our performance. Um, but the other thing to keep in mind is we uh, our focus is very granular at the state senate district level. So Lee Zeldin, for example, may do well on Long Island, broadly speaking, but he's unlikely to win Kevin Thomas's district, for example, um, or even Monica Martinez's. Is that remains to be seen because that's yeah significant overlap with his actual congressional district there. But there are some districts that will perform uh, for Democrats, including Kathy Hochul, even in the heart of Long Island. And so uh, whether someone does well broadly speaking in a in a region generally isn't so much um, uh, a factor for us as how do they do in a very specific senate district mm-hmm. and um since we were talking about the governor's race before i let you go what uh what's your sense of what's going to happen there this seems like it could be anywhere from a narrow lee zeldin victory to uh to governor hokel winning by even up to you know double digits um do you have a sense from from your vantage point of, of where you think this lands well, I, I think Governor Hochul will be returned for a full term in office. Um, I think it's going to be um, a wider spread than um, everyone is uh, freaking out about in these last few days. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, we'll see. People have a great interest in making things seem very close. But at the end of the day, uh, I don't think even if New Yorkers want to express a protest, even if they're dissatisfied um, at a very difficult moment in history for our state, uh, I don't think they're going to elect someone who is so out of step with their values, um, who is anti-choice, who is pro-gun, who is uh, an insurrection supporter, uh, who is an election denier, and who at the end of the day is a proud Donald Trump acolyte. Um, he may try not to talk about it, but he doesn't. He knows it's true and doesn't deny, it, which is why Donald Trump has so uh, strongly endorsed his candidacy. I have a hard time believing New York voters are going to um, elect someone like that, and that's why I'm optimistic. Kathy Hochul will do just fine, and so will we in the state senate. All right, we're going to leave it there. Michael Janaris, state senator of Queens, chair of the New York Democratic Senate Campaign Committee, deputy leader of the New York State Senate, which has a Democratic supermajority that's on the line here in this year's elections. Thanks for taking some time with me again today. Be well out on the campaign trail, and we'll catch up with you after all these votes are counted. Big takeaway from Senator Janaris in this conversation is that we're going to find out a whole lot more when the votes are actually uh, actually cast. So patience, I think, patience. I think <laughs> I think that prediction is absolutely correct, and we'll be we'll be watching. No, but uh, but thanks a lot for the time, and be well. Thank you, Ben. All right, take care. 